0: It's really shocking to me how many times I will go to review a store and there are broken links of either images not loading, the collection isn't linking right, um, the add to cart button doesn't work. And I think it's just crazy to me that almost, I would say, at least 95% of the time, I can find at least one broken link on a site.
1: You're listening to Ecomonics, a debutify podcast your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. L. McCann of Curious Themes joins us today to shed some backstory on the development of the web, through the perspective of a web developer. We discuss the importance of quality design and aesthetics, something to beautify is quick to help you out with, by the way. We also take some time to discuss the importance of wellness in this episode, as L had previous experienced burnout, something no one here is immune to. As someone who's also experienced it, we cannot emphasize the importance of catching it early, so have a good listen. El McCann, it's good to have you here. Thank you so much for being on Ecomonics. How are you today?
0: Good. Thanks so much for having me.
1: I, I feel like I, I might have switched energy just slightly between our pre-chat and our, and our recording. Uh, you know, that was just that's things being kicked off. No, I love it. Excellent. So first question I've got for you, it's the most important question. It's the kickoff question. Our listeners are meeting you for the first time, so tell them who are you and what do you do?
0: Yeah, so I am a web developer and I've been listed as a Shopify expert for over eight years now. I specifically do a lot of educational content about Shopify and e-commerce in general. I I love e-commerce overall, but Shopify is definitely my my go-to platform. So I do a lot of different training and just overall content around the Shopify platform.
1: Because uh, Debutify is a Shopify template, we don't really like put much energy into looking at the other templates, but have you dabbled in the other platforms at all? Have you had any major takeaways or any experiences like what makes them so different?
0: Yeah. So I actually first got started, my degree is in web development and it's really kind of random, but I started my very first business was a wedding invitation business because I love hand illustrations. And at that point, this was like 11 years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. I was really looking into launching an e-commerce store, and so I tried WooCommerce and BigCommerce at that point, and both of them were like subpar. And then I found Shopify and was like, "Oh my gosh, what is this?" And keep in mind, this is eleven years ago that Shopify mm-hmm. blew my mind, and it's gotten so much better since then. So they kind of took me from the very beginning, but I've still done a little bit of stuff in WooCommerce and BigCommerce, and I still think hands down Shopify is the way to go.
1: Fair enough. I mean, we we certainly feel the same way about that. Although, I mean, you know, you never know in the future, maybe we'll we'll make templates for the other ones. But as far as we know, it hasn't been brought up yet. So let's make sure that there's a full scope of your work just so our listeners know everything you get up to, at least as far as the e-commerce space goes. You provide uh, one-on-one service to other Shopify sellers, which has netted you the Shopify experts title and partnership. Your YouTube page, which you mentioned, online courses, store reviews. Uh, I also found like a store creation guide did I miss anything there?
0: No, that's that's a lot of it. Um, I don't really do a ton of one-on-one work anymore just because I've really kind of wanted to reach as many entrepreneurs as possible. And there's definitely a time limit with uh, one-on-one work. So I've kind of pivoted a little bit more in the past year or two years to more education through YouTube and online courses. But no, nope, you've pretty much covered it all.
1: <laughs> I have noticed that. I don't think there's been really any exceptions so far, but everybody that I've asked to do the one-on-ones they find that it's hard to scale because it's so much effort put into one person and yeah you know you are making a significant difference to them but versus that same amount of energy put into a course or a series that you can help hundreds if not thousands of people there is a pretty significant difference in returns one guest she uh she tried to maximize value by going on trips so that at least you can go to their physical location see something new have a new experience Oh, cool. So yeah, people try their best to get the most value out of it, but I definitely understand like there, there are, there are limitations to it. Yeah, for sure. So your, your brand, uh, curious themes. Yes. Where did that idea come from?
0: So I actually originally started creating WordPress themes. And so I sold different WordPress themes that I created. This was a good 10, 11 years ago. And that was where the name came about. I've actually just celebrated my 10 year business anniversary in May. Oh, congrats. Yeah, I'm excited about that. So the name came about from WordPress, but I kind of just stuck with it. I had planned at some point to do a Shopify specific theme, um, but I kind of, again, have kind of gone more into education and I haven't created that yet. So maybe some point down the road, um, we'll see. But yeah, the name's just kind of stuck all along.
1: Mm -hmm. So what we're going to do is I have a couple of... um, We'll say strategic or process questions, uh, just so that we can get a sense of you know how you work and what insights that you provide to people on a general sense. And then, but what I what talk about as well is uh, is more of that history, uh, because one parallel that you and I have is that we've both been in our respective fields for about ten years. I got into podcasting and media uh, ten years ago. There's no university course for it, uh, but. <laughs> You know, I, I would uh, I would chalk out my credentials to uh, other people in the industry at this point, at the very least. So, one of the things that you do is, or rather, it was part of your package, um, is the store review. Now, I understand that would probably fall into like the one-on-one work. So, I don't think you do that too much at this point. But I think it would be helpful just to hear some of what. You would do when you do a store reviews? What are some of the things that stick out to you? What are some of the things that you notice that people typically need to work on and adjust when they bring their stores to your attention?
0: Yeah. So I actually do a lot still of store reviews and consultations because I find that that's kind of the thing that I get Questions about the most is okay. I've launched my store, but I'm not really getting the sales that I expected. Like, what's wrong? Where's the disconnect? Is it with the paid advertising? Is it with the traffic? Is it with the store itself? And sometimes it's a mix of all of that. But uh, it's really shocking to me how many times I will go to review a store and there are broken links of either images not loading, the collection isn't linking right, um, the add to cart button doesn't work. And I think it's just crazy to me that. Almost, I would say, at least 95% of the time, I can find at least one broken link on a site. So I would say my biggest takeaway for people is to before you hit launch and push that out there or connect your domain, just go through your site and click on every single thing. Like Make sure your images are in the right places and that they load. It's going to take some time, but it's worth it and you're not going to frustrate people. Because if you're going to spend all this time and effort and even money sending people to your site, you want to make sure they have the best experience and that they're not just going to go, well, that didn't work. Like, got a 404 page and then leave.
1: It sounds like a lot of people aren't putting themselves in the position of the customer at any point. Exactly. But they only putting themselves in the position of the seller. I mean, me, I'm I'm a perpetual customer. There was a window of about three months where I was pretty addicted to ordering things on Amazon, and and every day th- things would be uh, arriving. So. You know, I'm used to expecting to have a good uh, shopping experience, and that is crucial for people who are setting up their own stores and who are not only going to go against other David's, but they're going to go up against all the Goliaths as well. So, a lot of small details like that. Um, One of the things that I was wondering too is if you have ever encountered people who maybe don't put value into the aesthetic side of it. Maybe they don't put value into the image quality or having a cohesive color scheme. So the, I guess the two parter would be: A, has this come up, and B, is how do we convince people the importance of the visuals and the aesthetics?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of the catch twenty two with Shopify is that you can get your site launched up, like launched in like an hour, two hours, like you can get it really going really quickly. However, it's going to look very different a site that takes two hours to do versus two weeks. And just thinking through and and making those design tweaks, bringing the branding throughout, not just in the color scheme and photos, but also in the wording that you use, where it doesn't just seem like it's a copy paste from a a dropshipper. And it's actually like worded to where you're speaking to your ideal customer directly. I think that is kind of a huge disconnect, where people just kind of get a little bit too in the weeds of, okay, I just got to get this launch. Here's the specs for the products. And that's that instead of really thinking about the customer. And, you know, if I'm coming to this, what problem am I trying to solve? What thing am I trying to fulfill? Like, what am I looking for? And it's not going to be a bullet point spec sheet of your product information. I want to, you know, have some emotion and some feelings Mm -hmm. that I get from seeing your site and from, you know, the hope and excitement of purchasing as well.
1: And they also want to hear from the person as well and from the about page and they want to know like what cause they're supporting or what's the mission behind the store as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the pages that people are the most shocked about whenever they go into Google Analytics and they see that, oh, there's a lot of traffic coming to the about page, but people don't spend a lot of time on it. And I think that's a huge opportunity where you can tell, you know, more about yourself, your company, why you started the business, Um, even highlight, you know, your favorite products, maybe your process throughout the way, and really just highlight it more to where people get more kind of into the process and the brand. And it's not just another thing that they're purchasing. Because, yeah, it's great to have someone buy your product one time. But if you could get them to buy it multiple times, that's way better. So Mm -hmm. the more that they can get into the brand itself, the the better you're going to do overall in business.
1: Mm All right. So one more uh, practical question, and then we're going to get into some of the history of your of your development, um, pardon the expression, since it's web development. Um, so <laughs> what do you consider to be the backend essentials uh, in terms of like, what apps or what integrations that Shopify stores should have uh, to you know, stay up to date?
0: I would say the biggest one, especially for this time of year, like with any kind of holiday promotions or anything like that, would be upsells. I think it's a huge opportunity to upsell people on your site. Again, you've already spent the time and effort and money of getting someone to your site. So if you can increase that average order value, then that's going to translate into hopefully more sales for you. So I think upsells is definitely an app that I always recommend first. And then I also love doing like rewards program apps where you can really kind of build that loyalty and hopefully get them to come back and and do repeat purchases as well.
1: Okay. That is a, is a unique one. I will say I have had, I have asked other people this question and as well. I've done my own research. That's the first time, at least as far as I can recall where somebody had mentioned upsells. So let's take a note of that one. All right. So this is, the, this is the fun part for me because one of the things that I saw in your research is that you as an entrepreneur, you've always been an entrepreneur and it says as early as like your earliest business was a lemonade stand. I tried to do that too, by the way, I tried to do like, um, a yard sale that I would just like perpetually put all my stuff out and just try to sell. One guy came by, he gave everybody a dollar. He didn't take anything, but he just wanted to (laughs) give us a dollar. I I felt so good about that. So here's where I want to know if there is a a consistent line from maybe not necessarily the lemonade stand, but from all of your Business ventures, really up until now, have you noticed any consistent themes uh, about your acumen or just the way you you approach business?
0: Yeah, I've always had very people-focused businesses, but I am very process. I'm a very very analytical person, and it's funny because with the lemonade stand, I actually look back at it now and I laugh because I didn't know what a lot of the business terms were. Obviously at that point, but I was doing a lot of what I do now uh, in the lemonade stand. So I would totally like squeeze. It was fresh squeeze lemonade. So I would squeeze the lemons right in front of people so they could see that it was fresh squeeze. I was telling them the process, showing them everything. And then I would also do upsells and I would <laughs> sell them. I would have fresh baked cookies. Why not add a cookie to it? And I had no idea. I was just trying to make money and I was crushing at the lemonade stand. Like I would have my sister and friends come over because they wanted extra money. And so it's funny because seeing those trends kind of apply from a young age on into business, I think as soon as you think about who the person that you're serving is and what they might want, whether it's, you know, lemonade and a cookie or, you know, this upsell of whatever your product is, I think really just kind of keeping the customer in mind and creating a business that's people-focused, whether it's a social mission or you're helping the individual customer, I think has been kind of the, the carrying force throughout all the different businesses.
1: And what happened after the lemonade stand? So what were some of the other things that you attempted probably up until you got into web design?
0: Yeah. So I, I did the lemonade stand for, a, it, I live in Tennessee, so we have pretty <laughs> warm weather throughout the year. So I did that for, I would say like elementary through middle school. I did that for a while. And then I, I've i always been kind of an artist at heart. So I used to do portraits in high school. I would draw people's portraits. Then I went into wedding invitations and now my current business, which is uh, web design.
1: So when you got into web design, this was, let's see, I was 20 years old. So yeah, it was about 10 10 years ago. I'm 30 now. And I'm trying to put myself back into like, what was the the overall feel of the marketplace as to uh, whether or not people saw that this was something that they can uh, turn into a career? Because I know there was like a dot-com burst uh in the 2000s everybody was putting money into these and then with the exception of like amazon and i think ibm most companies they didn't get past that com burst so suffice it to say there was a lot of uncertainty in the market but you jumped into it so at that time what did you well what did you think was going to happen did you see that this could turn into a career did it start as like a side hustle uh you also went to school for it so that's important to note too that they were teaching it in class but uh, yeah, I, I'd like to hear more about the history of what was going on at that time.
0: Yeah, so I graduated college in 2010, and the huge recession hit in 2008, 2009. So I was coming out to a really not so good job market, <laughs> especially for more creative fields. It was kind of rough. So I knew from the beginning that I wanted to always have my own business. And so I kind of used that as a kind of jumping off point at going to businesses specifically that were local, like restaurants, things like that, and pitching to them of this is how you can bring in more business. And it it definitely was a a harder sell because at that point, even in 2010, people didn't understand the importance of even just having a basic website with your menu and your contact information on there. So it it was a little bit harder of a sell, but... I think especially as the years have gone on with e-commerce and the platforms have gotten as robust as they are now, I think it's really set it up to, you know, it's it was kind of shocking with everything happening in 2020 of how many businesses mm-hmm. still weren't online in 2020. And we're just like, oh, I guess I finally need to create an e-commerce store now at this point. So it's kind of interesting that it's taken so long for some people to realize it, but I think... Overall, the the times are changing, and, and people realize that now. But yeah, it it's been an interesting journey, especially graduating into a not so pleasant workforce and seeing how that's come about. Just in almost ten years later, having a, another recession.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm I'm lucky in the position that I'm in because uh, I can I was working remotely before uh, another one of these hit, but. I do feel for a lot of these businesses, especially in the restaurant industry, uh, yeah. where they have to, they have to adapt into food service deliveries, like a, yeah, food delivery services, excuse me, such as Uber and, and Diner Dash and all of those, just so that they can continue to have a connection to their customers. And here's the other observation that I picked up, I'm um, listening to what you're saying. So first we, we talked to uh, say, we'll just use the uh, restaurant industry as our frame of reference. And you're telling them that this is going to give them an important, maybe an advantage. This is something really important for them to do, but other restaurants weren't doing it. So it was for them, it was an opportunity for them to stand out and to have a little bit of a better line of communication to their potential customers. And then over the course of 10 years, it had become standard to the point now where if somebody isn't doing it, they're actually missing out It's not an option anymore. It's like now it's, Basically a requirement, so the bar has been raised for everybody over that time.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think that same thing is happening now. Where everyone definitely thought it was going to take fourteen days before we can start going to, to restaurants again, and uh, I was off by a lot.
0: And so <laughs> now
1: we're we're gonna have to we're gonna be dealing with that again. And so now that adaptation is coming back. We're now well, listen. If you're not on these delivery services, you're you're probably going to have to shutter.
0: Yeah. Well, I think if anything, I mean, 2020 has been a hard year for a lot of different people, especially entrepreneurs as well. But I think it's really taught people, whether you have your own business or not, about how you just have to be flexible and kind of pivot and almost even think about different income streams. And I think that's what's so great about e-commerce is because, yeah, you could have a nine to five job and then you could also have an e-commerce store as a side hustle so that you're kind of padding yourself a little bit. I know whenever... COVID was first hitting here in the States. I was watching wall to wall news coverage, which is not healthy. Don't recommend it. But mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my gosh, like everything's going to go under. Like no one's going to have money to purchase from, you know, e commerce stores and businesses are going to go out. And I just instantly kind of went to a worst case scenario. And after a couple of days, it was like, okay, how do we pivot? Like, how do we, you know, set things up in business? You know, I definitely pivoted a lot more to YouTube at that point and was getting a lot more uh, consistent with my YouTube content because I saw the need of, okay, there's a lot more people that are at home now going, what do I do? And that's where, you know, they have time. Like, let me show you how to do this with, you know, video. So I think if anything, 2020 is going to teach the lesson of you really just have to be flexible and, and think about different ways that you can make money.
1: I agree with that. And then I think to each individual person can review themselves as an asset, because even if somebody might not be able to continue writing their restaurant, if they're a debt, bed food, they can always do their online course. They can always do their own YouTube videos. So yeah. It's it's been an opportunity. And other people have talked about this too. Is that yes, there's negatives, but there are positives too. So it is an opportunity for people to turn to the internet as the all-encompassing resource that it truly is, and just figure out what can I do and how can the internet help me with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that we talk about a lot in the show is mindset. It's 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 critical. I mean, everybody that we talk about in terms, uh, everybody we talk to about mindset agrees that if you don't have the right state of mind you're not going to get very far. And what's worse is that if you do succeed without the right mindset, it'll just crumble. And when I was going through your YouTube videos, you put out a video about uh, burnout that you were experiencing. And I don't get to t- ask too many people about burnout, because I'm not just going to like randomly put that question in my set and be like, so did you burn out? Like, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Either you admit it, or I'm just going to assume that uh, you, know, you, you, you didn't. But you put yourself out there and It's been about four months since that video. So let's do our listeners a favor and just talk about that experience, like why you hit burnout, uh, what maybe if there was warning signs, and then how you've gotten over it and the position that you're in today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you asked us because I think mental health, especially for entrepreneurs, um, is so important to talk about. So this was actually my second burnout, um, which is, I guess, good in a 10-year career. But overall, you know, entrepreneurship has some really high highs and some really low lows. And you do have to kind of ride the roller coaster a little bit. But mm-hmm. there are warning signs, like you mentioned, that you can kind of prepare for. So uh, this burnout was specifically related to I re-recorded both of my online courses. And for whatever reason, I thought I was superwoman and could record and edit all these courses by myself. It was uh, 120 videos, each ranging from five minutes to 15 minutes. And I did it in about a six week time on top of recording my two videos a week for YouTube. So it was just, uh, I don't know why I decided to do it like that. Looking back now, I would have definitely spaced it out a lot more. but. I just put way too much on myself. And um, that was definitely the cause for the burnout. But I'm glad that, so whenever I had my first burnout was, let's see, like six years back. um, Mm -hmm. And I was working 90 hour weeks. I was doing a lot more one-on-one work then. And I just kept going. I worked 80 to 90 hour weeks for about two years straight. So I just way, just way burned out. And thankfully this time around, I had learned the lesson of you've got to take a break like whenever you're you're having too much going on and step back and go you know what this isn't worth it i have to stop <laughs> thankfully my husband nicely reminded me to take a break as well but yeah i think that's something that you have to really think about of i think at least for me i get really excited with a new project or a video that i'm working on and i'll just want to like get you know get it done now and i'm so excited i can't wait to work on it but Really stepping back and going, okay, are these timelines that I have imposed on myself realistic? Can I actually do this? What am I going to give up? And I think for me, I understand a lot better now that by saying yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. So for that six weeks, I said yes to recording all of my course videos again. But I also said no to sleeping, to exercise, to eating properly, to hanging out with my husband and dogs and friends. Like, Mm -hmm. I said no to way too many things that it just put me in a place where there's no way I couldn't have not burned out. Honestly.
1: I'd like to ask you about the sensation in particular, even if it gets down to like what chemicals you think were at their peak, because I want to make sure that if anybody, and I I assume that a lot of our listeners are younger and they're looking to get into the industry. So they might not have like experienced anything like that. Do you recall any of the particular, like, say, like you wake up in the morning, and how how it really made you feel in the most uh, pragmatic sense?
0: Honestly, it was severe depression. Like I couldn't get Mm -hmm. out of bed. Like I would wake up and just be like, No, I'm not getting up. Like I'm going to lay here, and I don't ever plan on getting out of this bed. I, you know, lost my desire to eat, all that kind of stuff. So I definitely feel like I could relate it the most to depression. But the moment that it happened for me, I actually have video proof of it. (laughs) Um, I did not share that. But I was sitting in front, like, you know, my, my YouTube lights were on, everything was set up, camera was going. And I kind of fumbled over a sentence. And then all of a sudden I just lost it and just started like crying, like crazy. And was like, Whoa, what is happening? And that was kind of this sensation of, I feel like almost, I was trying to keep everything together. I messed up one little thing and then it was just like, no, nope, no more. I can't out, do yeah. this anymore.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. Two more questions about that. And then we'll, we'll get into some of the other, um, well, I should blend some, for instance, Pinterest. That's one of the things I wanted to ask you about some of the other videos, for instance, I'll ask you about that too, but I got two more for you and then we'll move on. So the first one was, did you notice any warning signs or did it just kind of like, like that?
0: No, there was definitely warning signs. I was having to record a lot of the videos at night because I was still doing like editing and other client projects throughout the day. So me, I was sleeping about two to three hours a night and I would be at my computer like trying really hard not to fall asleep and also trying not to like tear up at the same time, editing Mm -hmm. videos at 4am. And I would set like, you know, goals for myself of like, okay, you get this done, then you can go to bed at four and then sleep till six. Doesn't that sound great? So there was definitely warning signs of I could feel the, the tension and feel like for me, I'm an outdoors person and not being outside with my dogs, not going on hikes, I could definitely feel um, just you know, not getting the sun on me um, was starting to really affect my mood to where I would be a lot more snappy and not as kind and not as patient. So I think mm-hmm. just kind of everybody's different, so just knowing what your your normal state is and noticing whenever things like that are coming up is is definitely a, a clear warning sign
1: mm-hmm. And then the other side of it is th- what steps you've taken to be back in the happier position that you are now?
0: Yeah, so first off, I took about two months off of YouTube, which was kind of hard for me to do because I had been on YouTube for five years and I've been trying to put out content consistently twice a week, but I had to just step away and say, no, I can't do this. So I think for me doing the burnout video and then just stepping away, it was kind of a way of letting everyone know like this is what's going on and now I have to step away. So I think that was really helpful for me. And then now kind of moving forward, I've gotten a lot more into self-care and morning routines where I spend a lot more time journaling, Mm -hmm. um, reading books, things like that, that things that I, I get energy from and excitement from, but also just looking at my schedule. And I say no a lot more in terms of like, I can't do that timeline. I can't work this day. And just being a lot more honest with myself of like, okay, yeah, I could do this in a week, but maybe let's add another week on there just so that I, I have some space as well of if things go wrong or I don't feel like being on video this day and just kind of extending those timelines out.
1: Mm-hmm. I, one thing I wanted to uh, to touch on because I had seen a video, I think probably last week where he pointed out that some of the greatest entrepreneurs, you know, the Steve Jobs and the Elon Musks, one of their innate talents is their ability to say no. And I remember a couple of uh, incidents that happened uh, growing up that made it difficult for me to do that. One of them was the first job that I had. uh, I don't know how popular this sport is in the States uh, because I think it was invented in Michigan, but it's called whirly ball where people get into bumper cars and they've got lacrosse scoops and they scoop up a ball and they'll try to hit a, a signpost with it. And if they hit the center, it goes bang, and you get three points as opposed to one. It's a, it's a fun sport. At least I assume I, I was never you know, got a chance to play it. But as a, that's not true. I got to play once or twice. And I was working consistently for about three or four months. And usually the boss would call, ask me what hours I want. Uh, and he calls and, and I wasn't up for it. I, I just, I wasn't feeling uh, good about working that week. And so that was it. Two or three more weeks go by and he doesn't call me. And so I call him and I says, oh, you know, what happened? You didn't, uh, you didn't call. And he says, well, you know, I give the hours to the people that they want to. And that imprinted on me because it made me think that if I'm, if I ever say no, it's going to have consequences that are going to unfold in ways that I can't perceive. The other side of it was uh, my my dad, he tried to instill a lot of good work ethics in me and most of them were good. But again, it was that same thing about if you have to work, you have to work. You don't, refuse to work because it's too, it's just too important. And even to this day, it's still a hard thing to get over, but it's, it's very important. And, and I just wanted to thank you for bringing that up because people have to understand if you, if you keep saying yes to everything, you will end up in a position where you will say, I can't and you'll mean it and you'll physically be unable to do something.
0: Yeah, it's crazy how like little incidents like that happen in life and we don't even realize that it shapes our beliefs on things. I had heard many times growing up that, you know, oh, you're going to be a starving artist. And I think I carried that with me for a long time of like, well, I have to say yes to every job that comes my way because one day maybe there's not going to be any jobs and then I'll be a starving artist. And it it took a lot of work to go through that and go, okay, no, like money's still coming in, jobs are still coming in, you're not starving. You can say no if something's not a good fit or you just don't want to do it.
1: There's um. Well, there's two parts of that. One of them is that I've just realized for the first time that we could have just combined it and called it "starvist" or something <laughs> like.
0: Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah,
1: I've been I've, I, I've been referred to that before in the past, and this is the first time I realized we'd say that. Uh, so I'm going to mark a note of that. Uh, contact Webster. This the <laughs> other side of it is is to flip the script. Is that when somebody says "starving artist"? Yeah, okay, it's uh, my bohemian. Uh, vest and my am I and my waffles and i'm not you know and, I, and i'm and i only have so much uh, money so yeah i suppose that there is a little definition of it but there is also the the idea of craving uh, being being hungry for results being hungry to create something it's the it's the creative drive it's being you're, you, you know, we eat food just to satisfy our physical or physiological needs, but we create art to satisfy our, our spiritual needs and our, and our emotional needs. And to, and to know that we've like left an imprint in the world. So uh, credit to the, uh, to the artist community for realizing we can turn the tables on that. And also a lot of artists have found a lot of work these days, Patreon, Gumroad and doing your own stores. Yeah. Selling, selling your crafts online. This is Got to be one of the best times for an artist to be alive by far.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: A lot less persecution.
0: Yeah. I love watching. I watch so many different YouTube channels that are artists that are just, you know, all over the place of what kind of art styles they have. And they have huge followings on YouTube and then they have their own merch and they're selling custom pieces. And it's like, wow, this is, this is really a cool time to, to be alive and, and to be part of where you can really just put anything that you're passionate about and just put it out there. And there is definitely a community that's going to go, hey, I really like this. Like, thanks for sharing. And I think that's something that's really cool that maybe our parents' generation didn't get, definitely grandparents didn't get. <laughs> But our generation can really kind of take that and just share it with the world, and I think it, it talks a lot more about you know kind of spreading the happiness as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm gonna we'll switch gears, but I just want to point out one other thing: is just you know my my parents, they it, it meant a lot to them to to work and for me to have a job, and I think they inherited that fearfulness from their grandparents because. You know, they were alive during one of the largest, most devastating conflicts known to man, at least, you know, to date. And so, you know, you ever hear that, that Maslow's hierarchy of motivation, how like, you know, people start off and they just need to get their, their food and then they, their, their, their safety, their security, and then it goes higher into social, emotional uh, self-actualization. I think society collectively has had to undergo that hierarchy of motivation right now we've had to take a step back because now we're actually stuck in safety and security but you know over the course of uh, of our development our parents they inherited that feeling of not being secure and i think they tried to impart that onto our generation about you know you have you have to make sure that you that you're working and that you have to take care of yourself and i and i think you know, dad, I didn't never have to actually leave this house. We own this property. (laughs) So I think our, our, our generation, we've, we kind of mastered, I would say we mastered the social side of it because of social media um, to the point of excess. And we are moving towards self-actualization where people are going to find what they can do to have influence on other people. And since we've been talking about artists so much, I think this is as good a time as any to transition into Pinterest, which I know you've talked about. I've, listen to other uh, interviews you've done pinterest doesn't get brought up too much on this show the only other guest we've had um chronologically speaking was uh mark chapon uh, so he introduced it to to me and the and our listeners and i don't want you to feel like you have to like explain the what it is because my my listeners should already know that chronologically speaking but what i do want to hear about is your one, your take on Pinterest and how you feel it it fits into the stores Um, on a, on a, like a practical level, how Pinterest is actually connected to Shopify and potentially how it connects to uh, other parts as well. Because my mindset is that Pinterest is like a self-contained system.
0: Yeah. So I love talking Pinterest. Excellent. For me, I feel like Pinterest is kind of the same reason why I love YouTube. It's an evergreen platform. Like so many times with Facebook and Instagram, you know, you put a post up and your reach is, you know, 24, maybe 48 hours. Then after that, like that's, that's toast. It's on to the next one where, you know, some of my most like watched videos every single month are ones that I created two years ago on YouTube. So it's kind of that evergreen thing that can keep working for you. And Pinterest is exactly the same. So you can create content once, kind of put it up there, and then people can keep pinning your your images for years to come. A story that I love to share is I had created a, a pin for a lead magnet guide that I had created for uh, my site and for e-commerce. And I had done a Pinterest ad for $20 about Two years ago, at this point, (laughs) all I put in was $20, and it's still the most viewed pin, the most repinned pin, and it's still the most amount of traffic that is sent to my site from Pinterest every single month. And I just spent $20 two years ago. So it's so great to have that kind of evergreen content because I think, especially if you're a solo entrepreneur and you're having to wear so many hats. Well, yes, you definitely need to have you know a presence where your, your people are online, if that's Facebook or Instagram, but having a platform kind of work for you and constantly try and, and boost you even years down the road with the content like on Pinterest, I think is really key. And especially for like online shopping, you never know when someone's going to be looking for whatever specific thing that you're selling. So Pinterest is honestly kind of like a huge visual search engine. And I think that's why it's so great for e-commerce because, yeah, you can create, you know, a gift guide and make it a little bit more fun and engaging. But you can also just put your products up on Pinterest as well. And you were talking about the functionality of it. Shopify actually recently, like a, a few months back, had launched a Pinterest sales channel. So it's four shops that are in the U.S. and Canada but it really easily connects in with your Pinterest business account. So it sets up the tags for you and it starts adding your catalog into Pinterest. So it's really easy to get started. I think they even have like $100 ad credit. So you can try things out, making kind of the bar to, to get started with Pinterest if you have a Shopify store really low.
1: Okay, so as you're describing this to me, one of the things that I would just want to hop onto Pinterest real quick, because I one thing I don't know is if the, the advertisements are on the same playing field as, say, just like, you know, regular images that somebody would would post, because um, usually there is some separation between even like Google search results, they will tell you which are the ad results versus which ones are the organic results, which, of course, can also be adjusted in their own ways. Uh, but I'm on Pinterest right now. And I'm just looking through and everything just like on like the page looks like it's a so is oh oh there we go i see one
0: yeah it should say sponsored
1: uh i see an ad promoted by yeah yeah so yeah so it, it looks like um they're they're treating the ads with this uh, almost the same reverence that they treat the images themselves where you can see the promotions uh, uh underneath the image this might be kind of like a i guess it's a kind of a nebulous question but i think it's still uh, a curious one to ask just because of the relationship between artists and their sales. Uh, have you. Encountered any pushback between people who are saying, Hey, you know, we just want to use Pinterest for, for the images and for sharing uh, art. So it almost seems I'm trying to think of a better word than sacrilege, but I guess I'll just go with that sacrilege for the ads to now be on the same space. Have do you know what I mean? Has anything uh, on that along those lines come across your radar?
0: Honestly, I haven't really noticed um, anything like that. And a lot of times I'll get like if I run an ad um, for an e-commerce product, I'll get a bunch of people actually pinning and saving the ad image and then other people repinning that there. So I don't think people mind it as much um, that it's there as long as you're seeing like you're kind of setting it up as being helpful. I see. I think that's kind of one of the things to think about. And I'll tell my clients like, yes, it is kind of nice to do like, you know, a product image to put it up there. But it's also nice to do things like gift guides, or like, you know, if you're selling baby products, you know, five must have items for new moms, and creating kind of an image like that where people are, yeah, it may be still sponsored in a paid ad. And once you go to the site, it's your products, but you're being really helpful too. And it's I think that's how people use Pinterest the most. It's kind of like cataloging different ideas and, you know, grouping things together. So anytime that you can add value to people and make things even easier for them, I really don't think that people mine and go, oh, well, I'm not going to save this or click on this just because it's mm-hmm. an ad. I think it's more about the value that that you're bringing to them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to test it too, I clicked on, say, an advertisement uh, for Wix And yeah, it just takes you directly to Wix. Click on an advertisement for um, Mazda and it goes directly to them. And so that was one of the things that I wanted to know too, which I just discovered for myself. So listeners, one thing to note is that the line between the ad, it's a very straight funnel from the ad to the advertiser's website. So that's good. So you said that one of the ads, it was $20 and it's managed to last year after year after year. So with that in mind, what can ad creators and copywriters do to give their advertisements that kind of uh, long-term lasting power?
0: Yeah. So for Pinterest, I definitely recommend, um, first off, you need to think that if you're going to do advertising on Pinterest, it's a lot more of a slow burn than like Facebook, Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, you can see within like, you know, 24 hours, is this ad going to work? Is it not? Pinterest, you need a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. I typically, what I'll do if I'm creating a a guide or something like that, that I'm gonna turn into an ad, um, I will create, let's say five different templates so that I have different copy that I'm using, different images, different text stylization, different sizes, things like that to where I'm kind of varying it up a little bit. And then I'll just pin all of those pins organically onto their appropriate board and really see what kind of just takes off organically first of what people are clicking on the most. And then once I kind of get a little bit of reach and information after about two weeks, then I'll turn one or a couple of them onto a paid ad and just put like 10, 20 bucks, let that run for another two weeks, see what happens. And then after that, once I know, okay, this is really doing well, that's when I'll start increasing the budget there. So it is a lot more of a a slow process, but keep in mind that it's going to last longer overall. So you can, you know, then at some point turn the ad off and it'll still keep going years after and people will pin it and it still continues on. And you just don't get that with, you know, Facebook and things like that for advertising.
1: So what is it exactly about the Pinterest algorithm that keeps these things running? Is it like, if it continues to generate interest, then it continues to sh- uh, show on these new feeds. So let's just say, for instance, you do a um, an ad for a blender, and I'm looking at blenders. The, the organic activity is what's keeping it still relevant in the earlier search results. Is that right?
0: Exactly. So you want to have, you know, a pin that's going to get a lot of organic reach of people just pinning it and repinning it. Um, And that's going to be what kind of keeps it going long after. So the more engagement that you have, you know, Pinterest, like every other social media platform, they want to keep you on the site as long as possible. So if they know, Mm -hmm. hey, if I show this pin, you know, eight out of 10 times people repin it and they're looking at it, then they're going to show that so i think just being mindful of you really want to get people to engage with it you want to you know you don't want to have just a white background and your product photo on top you want to make it enticing either with a lifestyle photo or doing some kind of text overlays just come up with some creative ideas to kind of get people's eye to grab gravitate towards there and want to save that for for later on
1: mhm and yeah and pinterest i would say out of all of the platforms is probably the one that most encourages artistic expression and most encourages creativity it's it's a creativity board to begin with yeah so you was was cool too is that when you're talking about how you can track the progress of them in the back end side that was pretty similar to what data you can what you can do in the facebook ads as well you can you can see how the progress is going you can stop running the ones that aren't working well, uh, invest more into the ones that are working well, and then you can scale from there. So as far as working on the back end, it's probably gonna be more familiar for people who've done Facebook ads than, uh, than not. Um, is there any other tools or any other backend features that uh, you can let us know about for people who start using Pinterest ads?
0: Yeah, so I will say that Pinterest doesn't have anywhere near as detailed targeting and demographics as Facebook does. However, you can still add you know, the conversion tag to your site so you can track you know, people who come to your site as well as go off of specific keywords so that you can be you know, tracking different keywords and seeing which one people are the most likely to engage the pin with based on the keyword. But I would say overall, it's just in terms of Pinterest compared to others, I would think of it more as not just a short-term kind of advertising platform, but more of a long-term strategy. So while it is great to advertise on Pinterest, I would also think about ways to just build up your boards and your page there organically. So I love the Tailwind app. um, And this is a a software and it's tail like T-A-I-L. But it's, a really helpful tool to help you schedule your pins. So if I'm running paid mm-hmm. ads for my pins, I'm also gonna be creating different ads that are going to be complementary. And if they like the the ad and may engage, engage with that, then they might also like these organic pins that I'm doing as well. So not just running, you know, just ads there, but also kind of just filling out your boards more and thinking about Pinterest as an overall strategy of, you know, if you're creating blog posts on your site, you know, make sure you create some pins for them. And you're just thinking of different ways to engage with people and especially knowing who your ideal customer is and how, you know, what kind of content they may like and getting them to come to your site.
1: Excellent. So I definitely hope, I mean, I, for one, with respect, I haven't set my own store up yet. My, my goal with it is to set one up mostly just to test and just to kind of play around with so I can understand these things a little bit more intuitively. And yeah, I mean, I will say that of all the different platforms to advertise on, Pinterest is... It it sticks out to me because I'm a creative too. Like I I have my own artistic inclinations. Uh, What's funny though is I I did your quiz, your online quiz on your website. And uh, it ended up telling me that Facebook advertising would be the ideal one. I think it was just because some of it had to do with with budget. But I would imagine too that Pinterest would be another one of the answers to that quiz. Are there any other answers uh, besides Facebook or or Pinterest that the quiz would uh, let people know about?
0: Yeah, so the quiz on my site... You could get results anywhere from Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and Google. Instagram,
1: Pinterest, and Google. Okay.
0: Yeah. A lot of people don't get, um, when I look at the analytics of it all, a lot of people don't end up getting Google just because you have to have a pretty nice budget for Google. You can run through things pretty expensively, but I think that's where Pinterest can really be set apart, especially if you have a low budget getting started. Because you can kind of, you know, create these Pinterest ads with just a little bit of money and then kind of just let them run for a couple weeks and then come back. You don't have to feel like, you know, for me, if I'm running Facebook ads, I'm checking them multiple times a day because if something goes sideways, I, I could lose a lot of money really quickly. So I'm wanting to constantly monitor this where Pinterest is a little bit more of a set it and forget it. Like I'll even set like a calendar reminder every like Monday and be like, okay, you need to check your Pinterest ads.
1: hmm One assumption that I make about our listeners is that most will probably be dropshippers or will try dropshipping a a lot of the time, a lot of the dropshippers that I've talked to, they, they use it as a base for a while, but then they move on some still commit to it, but even those ones in large part have considered where they want to go after this, because I don't think people want to be like dropshippers for the rest of their lives. They tend to do other agencies. And so there's one contention that i can see which is that in drop shipping operations a lot of them might not really be intended to have longevity to them sometimes it's it's a seasonal thing for instance and so they set a yeah. store up for six months and then and then they let it go so i i can see how pinterest might not be the ideal fit because you want the the longer the ad is on pinterest the more you get out of it so i i would i do want to hear your opinion on drop shipping and I know you did a video on it, but I I didn't see that video. If you're a fan of it, if you're not a fan of it, whatever your opinion is, don't worry. We get lots of different opinions from uh, all over. So I do want to hear your take on it and how you feel it fits into the e-commerce space.
0: Yeah, so I'm a fan of dropshipping. I think it's a great way to test products, test ideal customers, and really kind of get your feet wet, get started. I think ultimately the goal is if you find a good product or a niche that you're in, you kind of want to switch to more manufacturing so that you can ab- or you can reduce your cost and make a little bit more profit margin and have more control of the process. But I think you're right. Like for, if you're just looking at it for doing, you know, a store for six months, then yeah, probably Pinterest wouldn't be the best just because it takes longer to advertise. And you're going to get a lot quicker of a flood of traffic from Facebook and Instagram, as well as, you know, you can turn the ads off and that be that where you, once you turn the Pinterest ads off, like that's fine, but it can still keep getting repinned and people are going to go to your site hopefully later on and be like, oh, the site's not here anymore. Right. So I do think like you were saying for drop shipping, probably doing more Facebook, Instagram could be a better solution for a short term. But if you are looking for building kind of a longer term business, or maybe even just testing the products first with drop shipping, then switching to manufacturing those products or still staying in the same niche, I think Pinterest could definitely work for you.
1: Mm -hmm. And I know one of the things that you prioritize is when people are designing their websites, the brand has to be quality, and it has to uh, gain people's trust. And I think that's an issue with uh, with dropshipping because the incentive is to, in, in a lot of a lot of the cases, like if you hear about oh, these are the winning products for Halloween, so you gotta you gotta get on that before Halloween is over. So, in your mind, how does a dropshipper square the relationship between a quality brand that can gain people's trust with? the inherent risk of selling a product that frankly they might not even see it for themselves at any point.
0: Well, I think that's one of the things that I recommend that they do is that they actually order a sample. Um, there's been many times where I've thought that a product looked great online and was looking at potentially selling this in one of my own stores. And then as soon as I ordered a sample and got it here, it, you know, fell apart within a week or, you know, it was jewelry and if it was left out on the counter, it started like rusting and and turning green after just a week. And it's like, okay, you need to get their product and test it out first. I get that sometimes things are a little more seasonal and you're trying to get something done in a certain time period, but you're just going to end up getting people upset with you or getting chargebacks Mm -hmm. if you don't have a, a quality product. So I do recommend that you get some kind of a sample and do some kind of testing period Throughout, Um, you know, if it's a necklace that you're doing, like wear the necklace in the shower. See what it looks like once it gets wet and it sits (laughs) out on the counter. Like, are people, am I going to get a flood of emails in a week of people being really upset because they don't, you know, put it in an airtight bag or something like that? I think that's an important part to just make sure that yes, you're trying to capitalize on certain time periods, but that you're still making sure that you focus on quality and the overall brand experience, because, you know, if something comes in the mail and it's just in a bag and it doesn't have any kind of messaging inside or even your logo, um, I definitely sometimes will forget what I've ordered. And I'm like, wait, what is this? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I forgot I ordered this. Um, so having anything like that, where it's going to be, I always say like, make it seem like it's a present in the mail, like, um, where you're excited, you open it and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Like, I do a lot of subscription boxes um, for a random things like hair care and stuff like that. And the hair care company I use, they always send stickers and it's like, I never use the stickers, but I get excited and I open the note and it says, you know, my name on the card and things like that. So any kind of little touches, I think can go a long way of how you can build a brand and build that more sustainably long-term and just focus on the, the quality as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's something that I certainly would want to think about for my own prospects, however far into the future they may be, which is setting up a brand, setting up a general niche store so that when these seasons roll around, I don't have to go through the process of setting up a brand and building familiarity with it. I would already have the store ready to go. And then I would cycle product in and out. So that's that's kind of like what came to my mind, uh, hearing what you're describing. But frankly, I haven't seen anyone in in that regard talk about that so that's something that i'm going to want to look into we're getting uh, close to to wrapping up there's a couple of other things that i just want to get your take on and by the way for for people i um, curious to a lot of these are things that i had learned checking out uh, al's videos so there is a lot more on the youtube that will expand on even the things that we talk about here this one blew my mind um the the, the loaning uh payability app it's Mm -hmm. an, sorry, it's an app, right? Okay. Yeah. For listeners not familiar with this, this, again, I I was really taken aback by this because uh, Shopify stores could qualify for up to $250,000 in funding. Now, maybe you've worked with clients who've qualified, but I, what do people even do with that kind of money on a Shopify store?
0: Well, a lot of times it, it's really based off of what your goal is of what you're doing. So they're not going to just give you 250 k just to do advertising. A lot of times it's more yeah. building out infrastructure, ordering more inventory, hiring up team members, maybe some advertising costs. But a, a lot more times it's more about the infrastructure overall. So I think for that, it's more just making sure that you have a plan of, okay, Maybe even there of, okay, showing that you have a drop shipping product that you have been selling really well, and now you're looking for manufacturing and you're going to be manufacturing it in-house, but now you need these special tooling equipment, things like that, that cost additional money. So getting a loan for that, but showing that you have the track record of the sales already for it.
1: Yeah. Okay. That that makes sense because depending on your margins, there's only so much equity that you can uh, earn from it to then make those those next jumps into manufacturing. OK, yeah. that clears that up. All right, I got two more. <laughs> and then we're going to do our, our wrap up for you. So the next one I want to get your take on is print on demand. I haven't really talked to anybody about this. Um, this is something that my girlfriend and I, we've uh, we've talked about doing before because well, I'm an artist and she's a much, much better artist. And it's it, it was exciting about it. This is something that we were doing before I even joined uh, Debutify is that we would, uh, well, I say we, but it was mostly her, draw images mostly of a corgi. And put it up on Redbubble and Zazzle to try to uh, sell to those markets. I don't. I don't necessarily think our our listeners will go on to Redbubble. They can if they want to. But what would you? How would you say people can get uh, print on demand set up for their Shopify stores? And like, what what can they get out of it?
0: Yeah. So I love print on demand because you can really kind of come up with your own niche and your own audience. Kind of like how we were talking before, like. You can find any kind of people online, like you can, you know, then market to Corgi specific groups Mm -hmm. and run ads to people that have Corgis and you, you already can target them so much with Facebook. So you can create any kind of image that you like. And then through print on demand, you don't have to be part of the process. You can create the design once. And then, then your job is to just send the right audience to your site. But what's great I think about these print-on-demand apps like Printful and Printify is that you can add it easily into your Shopify store and then create the products from there of just uploading the design, Know setting up the product and then they take care of the rest, which Mm -hmm. is also, you know, of course, really nice, but they're still going to be on your site. So you still can have, you know, you're not sending them to Redbubble where you're not able to track things as well. You're still able to have, you know, your Facebook pixel and then target audiences based off which products they viewed specifically or do dynamic ads and you're building that brand loyalty as well. So I think it's a great way to really test different things and especially when you're kind of getting started to see okay the you know corgi design is a big hit it's the biggest seller on a mug people don't like it as much on a towel things like that and so you can really test Mm -hmm. things out and kind of get to know your audience a little bit more especially before you you know potentially then maybe you want to you go okay this is a huge seller i want to start manufacturing this myself now you know exactly which product to manufacture, so you don't have a thousand corgi towels in your garage that you can't get rid of.
1: You know, I might be an outlier, but I think I would love a corgi towel.
0: Oh, I would love yeah. a corgi yeah. towel. Like yeah. I said that, and I was like, mm, maybe not a towel. I would yeah. love a towel.
1: Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe maybe the mugs won't take, but but point but <laughs> point stipulated. This is actually like a personal curiosity because one of my like pet projects that I've had in the back of my mind is to make a, uh, a specific like uh, a yearly agenda. I've, I've been using yearly agendas for seven years now and I've already got my 2021 and I've already started writing some dates into it because my buddy's wedding, you know, fingers crossed is coming up in May. I say fingers crossed for reasons uh, that are obvious to anybody listening to this in 2020, 2021. <laughs> but what I wanted to design one in specific, do you know of any print on demand applications or services where they, Give you that kind of flexibility where you can actually like put a product together to that degree?
0: Not for planners. There's definitely a lot for like journals, but for planners themselves, I think you might have to go with more of a printing company and maybe do a, a small run print of that. I'm not really familiar with any planners, but that would be a cool one to do for, for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks for that. I, it's, uh, it's been uh, nagging away at me for, for some time now. So I just want to get it out of my system. All right. I got one more that I want to get your take on and then we'll uh, give you a chance to uh, to wrap this up, uh, which is a uh, reward programs. So this is another one that we've talked about. Now I've done some reading up on reward programs and not naming names, but the person was going off on how people would end up having a stack of like 12 to 15 cards where, you know, buy one coffee, buy eight coffees, get one free. Um, and I, for one, being a bubble tea fanatic, I have a, a bubble tea card. I quick story. I go to the, to the, to the tea shop and I, and I buy two teas and she stamps at once and I look at her and I say, well, I bought two teas. Is it per purchase or is it per tea? She says, well, it's per purchase. So I said, why don't I just buy one then I'll just come out and I'll just come back in and buy the other. <laughs> and she gives me a blank stare. I'm like, yes. Yeah, okay.
0: Give me my second uh, stamp. <laughs> yeah,
1: she, she, she won that battle by the way, uh, but oh, no. So with reward programs is how do people uh, integrate this in a way that's effective? And seeing as how this is all done online, we're not really sending reward cards to people, but what can people do to reward their their audience?
0: Yeah, so one of my favorite rewards program apps that I always recommend is called smile.io. And they give points. It's kind of like you can set up different point structures for different things. So like you spend a dollar, you get one point. You know, you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, you get 50 points. It's your birthday, you get 200 points. You know, you can set up different things like that. But they have great incentives for, you know, not only for every purchase, but let's say you come back and you leave a review. If you write a review of the product, you can get 50 points. If you write a review and add a photo, then you get 100 points. And you can, because, you know, as a shop owner, having that social proof is really helpful. So it's a great way to incentivize people and almost kind of gamify it a little bit. Mm -hmm. I love how you can also, with their program change the name to match your branding. So for example, I have one client that sells jewelry and so hers instead of points is called gems. And ah. so you can get 50 gems. I have another client that sells bath products and theirs is called tub tokens. And so you can kind of bring that branding throughout and then even, you know, have it in your email series that you're talking about of, okay? You know, this week only get, you know, two for one tub tokens, things like that to where you still have something that you can be actively emailing people about where you're not frustrating them like but you still have something to talk about and it's still all bringing your branding throughout
1: that right there sticks out to me that's amazing i i know i wouldn't have thought to like make a, a currency in specific I, I have a friend on he's on twitch and he uh he calls himself the potato king and his currency is like mini potatoes i was trying to pitch him on taters he didn't take it uh, <laughs> all right well that has been uh, that has been an hour and it has been chock full of great insights, a lot of stuff that I'm going to be taking away personally. So for that, I thank you. I, I really okay. do. So our final question is just a, a wrap up. So if you want to let people know where they can reach out to uh, engage with you, I highly recommend your YouTube video, your video. Now, just the one video. I highly recommend your YouTube channel. (laughs) Uh, I I learned a lot of it. I expect I will probably be checking in some more videos out afterwards. And the other side of it too, is if you have any words of wisdom that you just want to impart on our listeners, you're you're more than welcome to to share that with us. So the floor is yours once more.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So if you would like to learn more, you can go to my website, CuriousThemes.com. Or my YouTube channel is just Curious Themes on YouTube. And I have a lot of different Shopify specific tutorials there, as well as overall e-commerce stuff and entrepreneurship, where I kind of share a little bit more behind the scenes of my entrepreneurship journey. And I'm kind of peeling back the curtains over the next few months as well as just showing more behind the scenes of what it really takes to build an e-commerce store and the the mindset day-to-day operations of that as well. And I would say my biggest takeaway for any entrepreneur, or if you're just getting started and you're thinking about entrepreneurship, something that's taken me about 10 years to really kind of wrap my head around. And I still have like a note on my desk, but it says I strive for progress, not perfection. And Mm -hmm. so just keep in mind that like I had seen, I think it was in the book Atomic Habits, but it was about, you know, every day you kind of get a vote for the kind of person you want to be. So if some days you show up and you don't really want to, you know, do, you know, your side hustle or whatever it is, that's okay. Like you have 365 days in a year. So as long as you do more then over you know the halfway point then you're kind of voting for yourself as an entrepreneur and make sure that you're striving for progress along the way instead of just trying to show up and be a perfect human being and a perfect entrepreneur every single day cuz that's just not going to happen and you're going to burn out and you're going to you know decide that it's not worth it so just kind of think about it as know, it's a, a long con being an entrepreneur and the more you can hang in there and just make sure that you're working on little things every single day to push yourself and your business forward. I think that's something to, to really keep in mind.
1: You know, when I was uh, doing my research for you, uh, I had opened up my Pinterest account for the first time in probably about six or seven years. I just hadn't, hadn't touched it. And I went to my profile and I had written, you know, six or seven years ago, however long, and my... And my profile description was, he's got a long road ahead of him. <laughs> and I did not think I was going to be where I am today. So when we say a long road, you can, you're, not, you're not going to be able to see everything that's coming at you, but you can do everything you can to be ready for it when you get to that point. So now my exactly. new subtitle is just, hey there, have a good one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think it's something that, you know, even 2020, I thought January, I had all these crazy plans. And then they quickly got thrown out the window come like March, April. So I think that's something that you have to realize is to be flexible. Like whenever I first started my business 10 years ago, I didn't even watch YouTube. Like I had no idea that I was going to start a YouTube channel. And that would be a sole focus of my business. And, you know, 10 years later, like, oh, okay, like, that's interesting. So I think just, you know, seeing also what you gravitate towards the most I kind of found that you know at first I did a lot of blogging and I found that I didn't really enjoy blogging as much but I love turning on a camera and talking to the camera mm-hmm. so I think just kind of knowing that it's a process and just see what you're interested in like some things are not going to work and that's totally fine like now you've learned that you don't really like this or this didn't work and you can move on to something else
1: well said all right Al Ken. Thank you once more for your time. You've been great.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've greatly enjoyed this.
1: It's been a pleasure. All right, listeners, uh, thank you as well for, for checking us out, and we will catch you next time. You might have found this show on many number of platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoyed this content and want to help us thrive, please Take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at Debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.